So, we're on this series, Who I Am in Christ. As you heard Tracy say and Donnie last week in the newsletter, we put the, the uh, scriptures in there that help us get to the place prayerfully where we can see ourselves as God does. But I want to read this caption on the back of a book by the guy named Bob George. It's called Complete in Christ. It's a great read. And here's what he says on the back of his book. Why do so many people experience disappointment and failure in their lives? Why do so many men and women struggle with a sense of low self-esteem? Could it be that they're unsure of how to obtain true fulfillment in life? God never meant to offer us a self-improvement course. Instead, he offers us an entirely new identity. Not only will he forgive our sins, but he will give you a new life in exchange for the life that you've been trying to live in your own strength. Begin to focus not on your own failures and inadequacies, but on his view of you. That you are fully loved, accepted in Christ. Receive God's invitation to exchange your old identity for the new joy of being complete in Christ. We have this tendency in church to focus on our inabilities. And it isn't that we don't have them, and it isn't for us to ignore them. But the whole issue for us as believers in Christ is what is our focus? Where are we in this relationship with God that he works so hard for us to have? So John 15 is a great scripture. The blessing of abiding. What does it mean that we get to abide? Look at the scripture. I'm the true vine, Jesus says. By the way, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is his last night with them before crucifixion. He is taking all the three years of teaching that he's given them and culminating it into a proclamation of who he is, what he's done. And what he's provided for them. Now, here's the interesting thing. They're still not getting it. So maybe it's no surprise that so many people today who name the name of Jesus Christ don't get it or understand. This is who I am in Christ. This is what he died for. He did not die so I could take the time through all the years and try to improve myself. But instead what he did was, as I read from Bob George's book, he gave me that new identity. Paul says it in Corinthians. He says... All things are passed away. All things become new. I'm that new man in Christ. We did this a few weeks ago. Remember? We looked at, back in your own personal experience, when you came to that realization of your sinfulness and your need for Christ in your life, and there was that, as we somebody so well coined it, that divine exchange of Christ in me, the very hope of glory, as Paul writes to us as well. So all of that, and now we come to this where he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. I want you to listen carefully to what this says and what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? 
I mean, what kind of God do we have? Does he not love everybody? Did he not give his son because he loved the world? Yes. And in doing so, what he provided for us was a opportunity to receive from him this incredible gift of not only life, but life abundant and life eternal. And again, how sad, extremely sad, I think, that so many people who name the name of Jesus Christ are not living in that life that God's provided for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. I'm going to leave that for a moment, come back to it later. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. How many of you really realize how much God loves you? Those of us who've raised children and those who are raising children know that because you love your child so much, everything is not lollipops and chewing gum. Everything's not a party. There are times when responsibilities and disciples, disciplines, get it right, disciplines are so important in teaching and training your child. Otherwise, when your child grows up, we don't have basements here for the most part. A few people do, but those are rare. Most people who have a basement in Chester, South Carolina, they spell it (laughs) P-O-O-L. But if we did have basements... And we were doing this as poorly as so many people are. The kids never grow up. And they just live in your basement the rest of their life. Maybe the rest of your life. Jesus says, because Father loves us, he will come to us. And he knows the things that need to be done so that our life can be changed and transformed more and more into the image of Christ that is ours in him. And the pruning, so we can bear more fruit. You know what the pruning means for a vine dresser? The vine dresser comes to the vineyard and there's the vine and somewhere down in those lower branches... There's, they have fallen into the dirt. And so the vine dresser comes along and picks it up and cleans it off. And if you can, positions it so there can be more sun, so there can be more fruit. That's how we treat our children if we're wise as parents. We don't just kick them when they're down. We don't beat them up. We just absolutely, in the love of Christ, demonstrate to them what this reality is. And we help them because we know that that's what's going to get them to the place where they can be those mature adults that God wants them to be. He prunes so that there is more fruit. He takes the time... He applies the care and all that's necessary so that my life and your life can produce the fruit that he desires. Now, you're already clean because of the word. See, this is the actual definition of pruning. You're clean through the word which I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Now here's the question for us this morning, what does it mean to abide? To remain. remain. Excellent. 
It also means to focus. Where's your focus? We live in a very busy, noisy, activity-driven world. We're all about getting stuff done. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not opposed to that. That's not the point, And that's not what the Scripture is saying. But at the root of all that we do, the focus for our life, each of us in Christ, is Christ. <laughs> and because we're focusing on Him, yes, all the other things in life that need to be taken care of, marriage and family and children and jobs and school, all those things are necessary, but they're not the primary. The problem is we've made those things primary, and then we wonder why things are in such a mess as they are today. So let's just take a little quiz. Where's your focus? Is your focus on stuff? We all like stuff, don't we? Can somebody just nod their head or something? Okay, thank you. Or is it the next event? I know people that they, they can't enjoy and finish one thing because they're already working on the next. And sometimes, I would ask you to forgive me, but I'm just telling you the truth. Sometimes we focus on what it would be like we had a different mate. Lord, I'm not sure what happened, how this all got messed up, but somehow I got the wrong one. And I want to give them back. One of our fathers who's now deceased, I remember when his son married a young woman. And he went to her in all sincerity. He says, this marriage is a no-return policy, just so you know. You get him, you got him, you keep him. This abiding is us focusing on him. I I appreciate one of the people I listened to this week, and, and they were saying this. When is the last time... When was the last time you truly had a heart-to-heart time with Jesus? With our busyness and all that we're doing and all that we're involved in, when's the last time you actually took time to step aside from all that and spend some time with Him to let Him know how important you are and how important He is in your life? We can only answer that individually. We all tend to get focused. When I'm working on a project, I have to be very careful because I'll get caught up in it. And I'll be sitting around, and even though I seem to be, uh, I don't engage somewhat with what's happening around me, actually in my mind, I'm working on this project. Did I get that right? Did I cut that right? Is that, have I got the right material on hand? What? It's easy for any of us to be pulled away from that, but it is absolutely necessary for all of us to realize just because it happens doesn't mean we have to do that all the time. That is not the plan and the will and the purpose of God. We abide in Him. We remain in Him. As someone says, that's so true. We focus on Him. You say, wait a minute. Again, back to sometimes let's be redundant. What about my marriage? Shouldn't I focus on my marriage? Of course you should. What about my kids? Of course you should. But here's the deal. If we do it His way, it works so much better. If we're focused on Him, if He is our primary, 
then our marriages will be way better than when he's not. If we're focused on him, our families, raising of our children will be way better than if we're not. So all of us, and it's not just, oh, I made that decision 50 years ago, over 50 years ago for me. No, it's an everyday thing where I'm focusing on him. Yes, I do have flaws. Yes, I mess up. That is not my focus. How many times have you heard people pray? And by the time they get done praying, you feel sorry for them. Because they have beat themselves half to death in their prayer. King David is one of my heroes when it comes to prayer. If you've read the Psalms, I hope you have. And you listen to David's prayers. You find David starting out, much like many of us. Oh, woe is me. Lord, it's so terrible. I have enemies. One of them is my son. He's out to kill me. Not counting the ex-king that wants to be dead too. As you read the Psalms and the journey of David, you find those revelations of his agony. But then if you read it carefully, you find he doesn't stay there. Don't stay there. I'm advocating. I'm encouraging. Do not stay there. That is not the place for us. We as children of God have a better place. We're focused on him. And when you read David's Psalms, as you read them carefully, you find, oh, he may have started out here, but he doesn't stay there. Man, he moves into praise and worship. He says, oh, but God, you're still God. Oh, but God, you're supreme. Oh, God, you're sovereign. Oh, God, it doesn't matter how many enemies I have. It doesn't matter how difficult my circumstances are. I am focusing on you, God. I may have started out in this pit. Psalms 40. I found myself in a pit. I couldn't get out. But God raised me up. Pull me out of the pit, put my feet on a solid rock, and put a new song in my heart. And because I'm singing that song, the new song that he has given me, others are being blessed and changed in their lives as well. If you're the Christian that walks around moaning and groaning, again, circumstances will vary. But that is not what controls our lives. Remember Peter? He's the one guy who got out of the boat and he catches so much flack, it's not funny. Jesus, if that's you, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus said, okay, it's me, come on. He gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water. And as he's getting closer to Jesus, the wind have been blowing and the waves have been lapping the whole time. But now his attention, his focus varies. And as a result of that, he begins to sink. Would I be wrong in saying that maybe here in our auditorium this morning with some of us who are gathered here, that we're about neck deep that we have taken our attention off of Christ so much and we've sunk so far that we just barely have our heads above water breathing. Well, let me tell you a cool, cool thing that Peter did. He snapped out of it. Put his focus right back on Jesus. And he, Jesus raised him up. That same offer is for you and for me and all of us in Christ. Our attention is on Him. 
Because we cannot bear fruit. See, he's not interested. God is not interested in us just managing to survive. I just got to get by. I just got to get... He says, no. This branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but only in me. And because that's the truth... Because I'm the vine, you're the branch, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So let me ask each of us today, we're here, we're all, for the most part, probably some folks here that may not know Christ, we'll talk about that in the next thing. But where's the fruit? Where's the fruit in your life? Be your own fruit inspector. We're bad about inspecting everybody else's fruit your own fruit inspector today with the Holy Spirit's help. Remember the Holy Spirit, he says, I have fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. So just take a moment, examine your life, don't look at your mate, don't look at your friend, don't look down the row, somebody else. Allowing the Holy Spirit, how is that fruit being manifested in your life? How is God being honored because your focus is on him and the Holy Spirit now living in us through the work of Christ is producing that fruit. And again, it's not just, oh, I just want to love me and my four no more. It's not what that says. I just want to have joy when everything is going wonderful. No, that's not what that says. I want to have peace because my circumstances are absolutely, incredibly amazing today. No. That fruit of the Spirit is to be manifested in abundance in our lives regardless. And maybe even in spite of our circumstances. That's what God has done for you and for me. That's what God is doing in our lives every day. Now, here's the deal, and here's the concern. If anyone does not abide in me, well, you've got to hold on for a second. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. How many disciples did Jesus have? We had quite a few, actually. But there were 12 that were named. And even though one of them had been with him for those three years of ministry, he was still one that was not abiding. If you follow the scripture that we're in here in John and continue out through this revelation of Christ in his latter hours... You find that Judas, one of those disciples, has betrayed Christ for money and literally comes to the garden and kisses Jesus on the cheek as a kiss of betrayal so that he can be identified as the one who is to die. Do you you get the fact that it is not about your religious traditions that's the issue here? We all have different traditions. 
depending on what particular brand your family may have been involved in or if they were involved at all. But the truth is this. It's possible for someone to be a part of a local church and being involved and doing the activities and still not be abiding in Christ. Because that's what this says. And if there's anything for us to be concerned about this morning, it's for us to be concerned about this. And they will cast them into the fire. And they are burned. Is it beyond the stretch of understanding that Jesus is talking about hell? That people who have been involved in religious traditions, some of them for a very long time, and yet because they have no relationship with Christ through the work that He did, back to the abiding, He does the work. If, if, it's, if the life is not coming to me from Him, there is no life. And as a result, that branch begins to wither. Because it was never really attached. In fact, there's a scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us because they were never a part of us. Now that doesn't, please don't take this and do some morbid thing. But take this before the Lord and say, Lord, where's my fruit? Because if there's life, if, if, if you're the vine and I'm the branch and, and your method of producing fruit is this method, then where's the fruit? And it isn't like everybody's being asked to be a Billy Graham or some famous evangelist or speaker. No, it's, it's the everyday stuff. Because I'm always excited when I meet someone that particularly that's not in ministry, and they know that what they're doing is a calling of God. That to me is exciting. I may or may not have told you, I'm sure that I have through the years. When I was associate pastor, First Baptist Church, Bono, South Carolina, we had a highway patrolman in our church. I had not been there only a couple weeks. He walks up to me, introduces himself, and he asks this question. He says, do you believe that God called you to preach? I said, yes, sir, he did. He said, well, then God called me to be a highway patrolman. So when you're on my highways, you better remember that. (laughs) And to emphasize that, our pastor that we had was from North Carolina, and he would have family and friends who would come down and visit occasionally. And they'd walk in and speak to their friend or their family member, the pastor, say, oh, by the way, patrolman so-and-so said hello when he gave me this ticket. (laughs) This guy pulled no punches. That was his calling. I'm not saying he was harsh about it. That's not the point. He just did what he was supposed to do. When you encounter people that have focused on Christ for so many years and and you're able to see the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of good works, as talks about in Colossians, and the fruit of evangelism, of sharing the reality of Christ so that others come to that same knowledge of Jesus Christ, then this stuff right here is just like, oh, that just gives me a, a heart concern for those who may not be. It gives me a a heartache, as it were. For those who may not be 
in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's not based on your denomination. It's not based on family relations. My favorite thing when I'm visiting people that I've not met before, not my favorite thing, one of the things, is when I'm talking to them about their relationship with Christ. And here's what I've heard this so many times over the years. It's, it's, oh, my uncle's a pastor. That doesn't get you in. My kids could say, my dad's a pastor. Doesn't work for them either. It is that coming to the realization that he is the vine. And when we come to that relationship with him and we're now grafted in, as the Bible says to us, then that life begins to flourish. Now, there may be seasons that God takes us through where there's not as much fruit. There are some of those for all of us. But he does work that work of life-giving flow from him to us. And all this, of course, is accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit. As you continue to read, particularly into John 16, you see how he did all this. But all of this is God saying, this is my way. People, this is my way. Quit focusing all this, all this stuff. Back to John 21. Peter denied Christ as we're moving forward here. He comes to the crucifixion. We come to the, the arrest. And, and Peter is confronted. Aren't you one of his guys? Oh, no. Nope, don't know him. Even starts cussing. You know, you hang around Jesus, you're not going to cuss, right? So he just wants to emphasize, I'm not one of his guys. So he just starts cursing. And then as Jesus had prophetically told him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he did. And his heart was broken. And the scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. And so some time has gone by. Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. He is now in the last stages of instructing his disciples before he departs. And one of the things he wants to do, because he knows what he wants to do through Peter's life, he meets with Peter and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love him? That wasn't just for Peter, you know. Do you love him? Thank you. Jesus must have had the same problem with Peter because he said three times, do you love me? Peter's denied him. He's been living with agony for these days. Now he has been restored by Christ himself, the resurrected Lord, meeting with him and restoring him that relationship. And Peter, he looks over at one of the other disciples, based on my understanding, it's John. He says, okay, Jesus, I've been restored. Now, what's he going to do? Jesus says, that ain't none of your business. Just get busy taking care of my sheep. We get in so much trouble because we're trying to figure out what it is that God wants to do for somebody else. What he wants to do through somebody else. We're all about, well, I'm doing this. Why aren't they doing something? Who cares? 
One day, every one of us, individually, no matter what your rank in life and society and economics is, one day, all of us, according to the Word of God, will stand before Christ and give an account for how we live the life that He's given us to live. Everyone. Every one of us. So, I can't... Oh, Lord, what's Nate doing? You know? <laughs> what's Sean doing? What's Ronnie doing? Now, in Christ, how is my life demonstrating that I'm so attached to Him that I have said as the speaker that I listened to this week, that we have those times of intimacy with Christ. So let me go back to my illustration of my personal, when I'm working on a project. I've learned in the middle of the project, just take a little time. The house is not going to burn down or blow up typically when I do that. But as I take that time to refocus on Him, it's amazing. And when I don't take that time, because Sheila and I typically do projects together. And for those who don't know, one of the side effects of having a concussion is that you're irritable. I will find myself getting a little irritable. Is that right? Nope. Can I excuse myself? Say, you know, I did bang my head on the concrete. Nope. No excuse. None. Zero. Nada. Because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. I have no excuse. And guess what? Neither do, neither, neither do, neither does anyone else. Because as the Holy Spirit does this, and because we're not these folks, we're not the ones, prayerfully, who have jumped through the hoops, done our dues, and then get taken away. And we'll know. Oh, you'll know. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and you will be done for me. So how, how, do we, how do we test this? How do we test if we're abiding? Well, here's the first one. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. So the question for each of us is, do we spend time in the Word of God so that as the Holy Spirit of God works in our lives, He's able to bring this to our remembrance? That's the first thing. Are we, do we have any desire for the Word of God? And, and the cool thing about our world today is we have no excuse. Even if you cannot read, you can listen to it. So one way of knowing if I'm abiding is this Word is in me. And I'm wanting more and more and more of it in me. Because this week, as I worked on this and I discussed this with Sheila, this word abide, I'm thinking, okay, well, whose part is whose? I've studied this. I couldn't tell you how many times I've, I've read, I've memorized how, and it, it came down to, for me, was, what's my focus? I don't know what that does for you, but that's what it did for me. 
And my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Prove to be my disciples. So, first of all, his word. Second, there's true fruit that glorifies him. Not me. Not braggadocious. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Romans 5, 5, the Holy Spirit of God puts the love of God in our hearts and it spreads all around us. So there's another evidence, if you want to call it that, of abiding with him. If you keep my commandments, oh, back to the word, am I obeying? Am I living this loving relationship with Christ from obeying him because of the work of the Holy Spirit? You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He says, I've exemplified this for you. This is how this works. It's not hard. Listen to him, pay attention to him, and then do what he says to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It works. These things I've spoken to you. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. How's your joy? What's your joy quotient? And this is not happiness because happiness is based on circumstances. And again, circumstances can let you down drastically. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. Another evidence here, as we've already talked about, Jesus brings it up again because it's so necessary. Are we loving each other? The fruit of the Spirit, love. Starts off, love. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, this is how we get there, how we get it done, as you were, as it were. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. If what God was asking us to do was possible, which it is not, unless what he has given us to do is done by the work and power of the Holy Spirit living in us, and that transaction took place at the moment of your salvation. Then and only then can we live this life focused on the vine, focused on Christ, receiving from him everything that's needed and necessary to live the life that is abundant and amazing and fruitful and victorious, regardless of our circumstances. Would you stand, please? Father, your word is true. It's right. And you say, Jesus, as you were here, you spoke. You said, you are the vine and we are the branches. And your choice, your method of demonstrating that we are yours is because we're attached to the vine. We're abiding in the vine. We're remaining in the vine. And as a result, our lives are different doesn't mean we don't have difficulties doesn't mean we don't have shortcomings doesn't mean that we 
have stopped sinning necessarily. But it makes all the difference in how we do this life. And we will find, Father God, in your name, Jesus, we will find that this life that is so absolutely dependent upon you, and because it is and because we do, our life gets to be lived in such a way that you, Father, get glorified. You, Jesus, get exalted. And you, Holy Spirit, have the right and the freedom in us to accomplish all the Father desires. Because you created us with a purpose in mind. Each one having a place in life and lives that we will touch and lives that will be helped. Because we, we are with you. Abiding and remaining and focusing on you, Lord Christ. Whatever that means for each of us individually, Holy Spirit, bring the kingdom and the will of the Father, our Father God, here in our lives as it is in heaven. We can't praise you enough for all you've done, all you're doing. And we thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that we are. We are yours. We're yours. Bought with a price. Paid in full. Thank you, God, for this day and all that you're doing and all you're going to do. Again, in Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen.